welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and I've noticed that the foliage this time of year sort of makes me tarmic. Tarmic? That's a new one. Well, I guess I should say it is a tarmic. Oh. And that is which induces sneezing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, anyways, um, the shit's changing out there. It is. The summer foliage is so well. I mean, it's eighty-two degrees today. Because so. Oregon doesn't know what it's doing, <laughs> right? So, like, some of the shit's going away, but then coming back, like my strawberries rebirthed like a month ago. Right. That's true. It's been weird. Which I'm fine with because I know all too soon it's going to just start being super rainy and gray. Yeah. Which for the next six months. I'm not going to lie. I like it. It like gives me, it makes me cozy. Like lately I have been, this is such a, I don't know if it's a nerdy thing or not, but I have been turning on the YouTube channel on my TV to, um, like serenity rooms where like you can hear the rain falling outside and you can see a fire crackling and that's just the whole thing for hours. And the one I watched last night was I was inside of a cave, cave watching the snow fall. And there was a fire in there just in the background because it sounds nice. And then when you look up, it's like, oh, yeah, I I can see that. It's like supposed to be helpful for stress. And then I got to thinking, wow, snow is so peaceful. And then I started researching and um, apparently snowfall really is good for stress for most like humans, Um, partially because it dampens sound. So it's just Mm -hmm. like so quiet and still outside but I guess just actually seeing the snowfall is good for stress interesting I didn't know that so I mean and then listening to the rain and just nature in general is good but particularly snowfall so Hmm. if you're ever really stressed out you could find that YouTube channel and it's just watching snowfall that does sound nice I mean it's okay for like the background I was like reading I was trying Mm -hmm. to read um Courtney and I are both like well I have a test this week and so I was trying to study, but also trying to read our, you know, serial killer things. Mm-hmm. And I just had that in the background. All right. I've taken to sometimes when I'm reading for school um, on Disney Plus, they have um, what they call like nature moods. Okay. And there's like four or five of them. And it's just like music that plays that mm-hmm. like, goes along with like a theme of like pictures of nature. Oh. Things like that. So there's Is like it a, a cartoon or No. No, okay. No, it's like it really is just okay. like I guess Disney photography sh- stuff's and, not all cartoons anymore. Yeah, the, like National Geographic is part of Disney. Gotcha. Um and that kind of thing. So that's kind of nice to have on in the background and then every once in a while you like look up and you're like, "Oh, that's a beautiful rainforest." Right. Or something. Totally. We have to do the things to minimize our stress when we can. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I'm all down with that. Um, but so we're here. Even we are stressing all, <laughs> but we're here and we're working on it. I think this episode is going to be kind of short because uh, I don't want to say that I didn't give it a hundred percent, but I thought I was like, this will be enough. And then it looks like looking at the script might not be enough, but that's okay. That is okay. It's part two. I think it's just going to be three parts on this one. Yes. So part three will probably make up for if it's short in part two. Hopefully. So, but before we start part two, Courtney, what is your question? Uh, well, I have a nice, easy, relaxing question for you. Okay. 
Um, so Trisha, what was your very first pet that you ever had? Um, so I'm not positive if they came at the same time or one came before the other, but when I was a baby, I had a wiener dog and a Siamese cat. And I think they were like right about the same age. They were puppies and kitties when I was a baby. And it was Jojo and Dusty. Aw. Yeah. And Jojo, they both ended up kind of getting hit by cars. Um, Jojo got hit on 101, Aww. which is the coast highway. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was pretty old. She was like 12. It was really sad, though. And then my mom accidentally ran over my cat in the driveway. Oh, no. But she lived for like a long time after that. Oh, that's good. So uh, I don't know that that's what killed her. <laughs> if she did, she, she mm-hmm. said, like lasted for like months and months after that. But she was pretty old when she died, too. So mm. sometimes cats like to sleep under tires. They sure do. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. and if you don't think to look, then, you know, that really sucks, so. Anyways, that's, what about you? That's how my current cat lost one of its legs. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Did you run over it, or did no, it come to No, it's previous owners. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dead. Yeah. Those darn cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, my first pet was a hamster named Milo. Okay. And I got Milo when I was four or five. I don't remember if I was in preschool or kindergarten, and it was like my pet that I had to take care of in, in my room and I'd take him out and play with him all around and he hung out in my Barbie dream house that I mm-hmm. had for my Barbies and was part of those stories. And nice. And they only live for, you know, one to three years. But right. But they are cute. Yeah. He lived for a good long time. I think he lived for almost three years. Nice. Before he nice. passed away. You found him in his cage. Yep. Yeah. And then we buried him in the garden. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. <sighs> but, Nostalgia. Yeah. Now I have, you know, my first dog that was my dog mm-hmm. is Mulder. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Everything else is my parents' pets. Yep. Rika is the first dog that is my dog. Gotcha. And then I have my cats. Yeah. I have got cats too. I've had cats when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for that question, Courtney. Let's, uh, can you give us a recap of last week of Dayton Leroy Rogers? Yes. So last week we met Dayton who grew up in a large family with an extremely religious and abusive father. The family moved around a lot and he struggled to connect with other people, but somehow he got married quite young to a girl named Julie, but then was arrested for stabbing a teenage girl and was sent to a psych ward. Um, and then was sentenced to probation. And then while still on probation, he sexually assaulted two teenage girls staying at his home, and the judge decided to send him back to the psychiatric hospital instead of to prison. Yes. Um, So by this time, Julie, his wife, decided to divorce Dayton. Good riddance for him. She went down to California to get away from him. He attempted to lie to her, saying he was a doctor now, making all kinds of money. She called him out by pointing out that he was calling her from a mental hospital, and he was full of shit. She never heard from him again. Dayton wanted to get out of the mental hospital ASAP, so he did what he could to prove that he was cured. He got a job on the outside at a furniture store in Salem, and he was able to leave the hospital to go to work. His perseverance paid off, and in November 1974, Dayton was found to have recovered from his mental illnesses enough to be released the following month. Well, what do you think about this release, Courtney? I am honestly shocked that he was released so soon. He was only in the hospital for about eight months. 
And I mean, we talked a little bit in the last episode about how while in the hospital, he was participating in therapy and talking all about his violent sexual fantasies. And so with the frequency and intensity of those fantasies, I would have gigantic reservations about releasing a man back into the world who was in the hospital because of violent sexual assaults. Well, Dayton stayed in Salem, maintained a job, and used every opportunity he could to masturbate. It was the only thing that helped him find any relief from his violent fantasies. He met Sherry soon after his release, and he married her in October of 1975. Dayton was constantly in the company of sex workers throughout the majority of their relationship. Unfortunately for the newlyweds, Dayton lost his job, and Dayton was not satisfied with his extramarital affairs. He began to drink heavily, and he was using drugs, pot, amphetamines. He would have extreme headaches. Dayton was falling into a deep depression, and he was pulling away from his wife and his family. One night in December, the two had a huge fight, with Dayton leaving the house and driving down to Eugene, where he wound up in jail for being a piece of shit. So, what did he do? I will get you right to that right now. Dayton was driving around when he saw a car stopped with an attractive girl in it. He pulled, and made, he pulled up and made small talk. She introduced herself as Cindy, and she said she was only 18. She thought that getting into his car and driving around and smoking and drinking with a stranger was a good idea. I'm not victim shaming. I'm just saying don't do that, people. She started talking about how she wanted to get a puppy but had no money. Well, you know, just so happens that Dayton had uh, knew of some puppies that she could have for free, but they'd have to drive to his aunt's house to get them. She agreed, and Dayton drove to a secluded spot in Canby. After some time, he jumped on her, bound her wrists and ankles with electrical wire. He then raped her in the car. He raped her again and explained that he was fascinated by the blood. After a while, she convinced him to untie her so that she could go pee. When she got out of the vehicle, she took off running. Dayton didn't follow her, and eventually she found help by beating on a door of a house at around 5 in the morning. The police were called. Cindy explained what happened and showed the marks on her wrists and ankles. The police were able to find Rogers as his car got stuck in the mud and they arrested him. She was taken to a hospital where a rape kit was collected. Dayton was released that night and never told his wife what happened. Thankfully, he was indicted by a Clackamas County grand jury for first-degree rape, and then she found out that he was let out on bail. Courtney? Okay, two things. First, we are continuing to see an escalation in Dayton's behaviors. So he has now added kidnapping and restraints to his routine of sexual assault, which suggests that his attacks are more planned out and methodical. His previous assaults were definitely more, like, impulsive and disorganized. Secondly, with his history, how on earth did the police and judge think it was safe to release him on bail? This happened, like, less than a year after he was released from the hospital. And we know, I guess maybe they didn't know back then, but rapists are one of the top type of criminals for recidivism. You think it's because they're, they're driven by sexual things? I think so. And so it's like they can't ignore this impulse. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, his next victim while he was awaiting trial was nineteen year old was a 19-year-old who was walking down the highway after visiting her boyfriend in jail. She was on her way to the bus station when Dayton offered her a ride, and she accepted. He convinced her to go to Silver, Silver Falls State Park before the bus, and they went off together. 
He pulled off into a secluded area in the park. The two of them sat in the car and drank beers and listened to music. Dayton then pulled a knife from pulled out a knife from the glove box and told her he was going to rape her. He wrapped her wrists in electrical wire. He used the knife to cut off all her clothes. He eventually started to bite her feet while mumbling other women's names and talking about other women he had done this to, sleeping with his parents and, and other odd things. He was just kind of going off on all sorts of shit. Well, a red truck came down the road and they were, um, excuse me, a red truck came, a red truck came down the road they were on and that scared Dayton. He started the truck and took off, threatening to kill her or kidnap her or all sorts of things. He eventually pulled over and started to strangle her with a ligature. She fought so hard that the ligature broke and she smashed her shoe onto his head. And this stunned Dayton, who seemed to kind of lose his anger at this point, and he became fearful. She kept thrashing and she got loose of her bindings. And she talked Dayton into taking, to her, taking her to her grandmother's home, which was nearby. He let her go at her grandmother's house in Oregon City, where she promptly called the police. The police would piece together that it must have been Dayton who did this. Courtney, what do you think about how he changed when she broke free and started hitting him? So Dayton existed much of the time in his fantasy world. When he was in the process of assaulting her, he was finally <coughs> sorry, finally living this fantasy out. But being interrupted and then having his victim fighting back so hard were not part of his fantasy. So what I think happened is that he got kind of lost in what he was doing but then when the ligature broke and he was hit with the shoe, it kind of snapped him back to reality and he didn't really know what to do. Right. I mean, he did speak about earlier about how he could control his fantasies, but he couldn't control his hallucinations. So if somehow those two worlds were intertwined, maybe, yeah, like that just like broke him out of one. And then he's like, what the fuck is happening? Right. But at exactly. the same time, he knew what he was doing. So I'm not going to like let him off. Yeah, right. Or it's sort of like when you get so into doing something that just like time passes mm. and then suddenly someone's like, hey, and you're like, oh, where did two hours go? Yeah. Before he could be charged with this attack, he attacked again. This time, two teenage girls that he offered a ride to school. He convinced them to go hang out with him at a park to fish and drink beers. He pulled his now familiar M.O. and threatened to rape them with a knife and bound them. He told them that he wanted to, quote, make love to them. He played with their feet and raped one of them. He let them go to the bathroom and they both took off. They were able to get his license plate number and went to a house nearby and called one of their fathers. Eventually, Dayton was acquitted of Cindy's rape. Sorry, I just kind of skipped forward there. But so he was acquitted of the rape, um, which is really annoying. But he did plead guilty by mental defect for the other charges. So ultimately, he got five years for violating his probation and then five years for some of the charges against the two young girls. And the DA had this to say, quote, this was in a less enlightened time when juries often felt that if a woman or a girl contributed to the rape in any way, they would not convict him. In this case, I think it was because they drank beer and smoked marijuana with him. Courtney? Well, I think the DA has it right. You know, the 70s were a pretty terrible time to be a rape victim. And I'm still confused about how he continues to be able to use mental defect as a defense. I do still think that he could have had, you know, schizoid personality disorder, but that does not stop him from being able to know right from wrong. I wonder if this defense would have worked in this case if the judge in the previous case hadn't stepped in to send him to the state hospital instead of prison. But at least this time around, he was given prison time. 
Right. So basically, I'm just going to recap Cindy, the one that he raped twice, that she convinced him to let go at her grandma's house that beat him with the shoe and got out of her ligatures. God knows what would have happened to her if she hadn't done that. Mm -hmm. He was acquitted of that rape. Yes. These two girls who one of them he raped and the other one they didn't, um, he was convicted on some, I think, lesser charges. I think it was like second degree. Something like Mm -hmm. that. I'm sorry I didn't put it in there, but it was still, it was like not enough. Luckily, I guess if you want to call it luckily, he got these two five years back to back. So 10 years. Yes. Is what he was supposed to do. So at least it's something. It is. And it's in a prison. It's a start. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go. Oh, I'm sorry. Rewind. So the DA had this to say to the parole board, quote, in my contact with criminal defendants, I have not dealt with another person I consider more dangerous than Dayton Rogers. If I could pick only a half dozen of the most dangerous people I've been involved with, he would be on that list. Well, surprise, surprised, he was released four years early in 1982. And in 1983, his parole was completely terminated. He was free. And this is where he escalates from rape to murder. Courtney, do you want to say anything before I go further? Just that I'm rolling my eyes as hard as I can. That, one, he was let out on parole. Mm -hmm. And two, that it was like less than a year or like barely a year before they terminated his parole conditions. Right. When like the other times that he's been brought in was like when he was on parole. Well, yeah. Probation. Mm -hmm. Sorry. But yeah, yeah. Same idea. Yeah. Okay. Well... So this is going to be a little different case, and I'm presenting it this way because not only did the book do it, but um, this is one of those cases where they didn't realize they were dealing with a serial killer until he was already in jail. Right. So that is why we're going to go a little out of order and start with his last victim. Okay, so in August 1987, that's the next time the law and Dayton will meet again, and that's when he murdered his last victim. So... He picked up a young sex worker by the name of Jennifer Smith, and she went with him willingly enough. She had actually been with him before, so I'm assuming she probably felt safe with him. They were together from approximately 1.30 a.m. to 3 a.m., and it's unknown what occurred during that hour and a half time, but at 3 in the morning, Dayton drove them to a small business complex on Southeast McLaughlin Boulevard. When they parked, Jenny removed her clothes for their agreed-upon encounter, and then Dayton used her shoelaces to bind her wrists together. Dayton then grabbed a kitchen knife from the glove box, and when Jenny saw this, she started to scream. Dayton stabbed Jenny in the back, and then he cut one of her nipples, and she started to bleed heavily. So obviously, Jenny became hysterical at this point, and Dayton got off on this. Courtney, the book describes that Dayton has never been as sexually aroused as he was at this moment. It sounds like he is a full-on sadist at this point. I mean... Dayton had spent the last 10 to 15 years perfecting his fantasies and acting them out. So threatening violence was no longer sexually exciting enough, and he graduated to using violence to become aroused. So this officially puts him in the sexual sadist category, along with many of our serial killers, including Ted Bundy and Gary Ridgway. Well, okay, back to the attack. Um, He stabbed her in the torso... Uh, And then he just kept stabbing her, getting more and more sexually excited. Her bindings had somehow come undone at this point, and Jenny was fighting back. She was able to open the truck door, and she fell out onto the pavement. 
She was naked and bloody, but she was still alive and screaming. Dayton grabbed her by the neck in an attempt to stop her. Then he started stabbing her again and again in this parking lot. Jenny grew quiet, but before that, she had been heard. There was a Denny's that was open 24 hours right adjacent to the parking lot in um, where this occurred. Two men heard Jenny screaming, and one of them saw two individuals in the dark. The two men joined each other and went to go see what was happening. Jenny was screaming for help and that she was being raped. When they came up to the pair, they saw Dayton on top of Jenny trying to have sex with her. One of the men said, quote, what the fuck do you think you're doing? This apparently startled Dayton, who promptly jumped off Jenny and ran around the building. The men started to scream to call 911, which prompted other customers to come out of the restaurant. One of the customers who happened to be a hero in my mind was in a wheelchair and saw Jenny. He threw himself out of his chair onto the asphalt to see if she could, um, if she was breathing, and he started CPR when he found no pulse. Dayton came out from the building again and was spotted by the crowd. That's him. That's the son of a bitch motherfucker. Somebody get his license plate number. That's what they were screaming. <laughs> Dayton jumped into his truck and sped around the lot, but not before two other men had gotten into their cars and tried to block both exits of the lot off. Dayton, however, traveling at top speed, went over the sidewalk and took off. One of the men followed him and drove after Dayton's truck. It is thought that the speeds of these two were 85 to 100 miles per hour in this chase. Dayton's license plate number was out, but the man following him did not give up. Eventually, he got right behind the truck, and there must have been enough streetlight or something to make out the plate number. So he stopped at that point. He wrote down the number and then went back to the parking lot. Courtney, uh, all of the things, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? So I can't imagine the kind of terror that Jenny must have been feeling, and what Dayton did was obviously horrible. But the thing that stands out to me about this whole scene is that for what feels like the first time, somebody actually tried to help. This could have turned into another situation plagued by the bystander effect, where possible witnesses or helpers don't take action because they assume that somebody else will or already has done something about it. So it's kind of refreshing to see these strangers that went to such lengths to try and help Jenny. Funny you mentioned that. That's going to be on my first test. The bystander effect. Well, like the whole, like, because there's no legal precedent in the United States to help someone if they need help. Right. And one of them is, like, that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, anyways, I didn't know all about it. But, yeah, there is a lot of times where people won't help because they think someone else is going to help. Right. Um, so, thankfully, that that wasn't the case in this. In this. And it, this kind of reminded me a little bit of, like, the Richard Ramirez catching. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean different but you know the the public is kind of eventually what brought him down but police arrived at the scene and jenny was taken to legacy emmanuel hospital but unfortunately she was pronounced pronounced dead at the hospital she had fought to the bitter end the eyewitnesses were able to give a lot of information and the man who chased after dayton got the license plate number and explained his experience so you know this crime did not go unnoticed the cops traced the plate number and went to the address that it was connected to They were not to make any arrests at this time, just to see if the truck was there. When they arrived at the residence, the truck was not out front of the mobile home. The police turned off their lights to wait. All of a sudden, shots were fired, and the cops jumped out with their guns drawn. Sherry, Dayton's wife, came out and apologized, saying that her father had shot in the air when he saw cops come through the, I think it was a trailer park, um, and he wasn't sure who they were, and he was using the noise as like a scare tactic. Uh, So this is 
kind of a weird ass neighborhood if this is the norm. But anyhow, Sherry was now awake. So the police decided to ask some questions. She said she was co-owner of the truck they were looking for, but that her husband Dayton currently had it at his place of business in Woodburn. She provided that address for the police. Sherry's phone rang while the police were there, and wouldn't you know it, it was her husband Dayton Leroy Rogers just checking in. She explained that the police were there, and he spoke to them on the phone. He claimed that he had been at his shop all night. He would, of course, be happy to help in any way he could. The, the police went to his shop, and they saw the truck. They felt around the front hood area of the truck and with their hands, and it was warm to the touch. Interesting for a truck that had supposedly been sitting all night. The police entered the shop and spoke with Dayton. He claimed he had been there all night and no one had borrowed his truck. He told the cops to go ahead and search the vehicle if they wanted. When he was asked how the truck could be so warm, he said, Oh, I forgot. I went to Safeway for coffee. The cops said, well, that's weird because there's a brand new hot pot of coffee in your office. And then Dayton was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I started the truck, but then I heard the phone ring and went back inside and I decided that I should just let the truck run for a while. Dayton also had a pretty good cut on his hand that he said he got from a hacksaw, but there was no blood on the hacksaw or the toolbox in the office, but there was plenty of bloody bandages in the garbage. So that's a little peculiar. He explained that he liked to drink little bottles of alcohol, the kind that are used on planes. So this little tidbit will come um, into play later. So later that morning, they brought the eyewitness from the scene, the man who had chased Dayton to positively identify the truck, which he did. After this affirmation from the witness, Dayton was placed under arrest. Courtney? Well, one thing that's been consistent about Dayton is that he is not great at improvisation <laughs> when things don't go according to plan. So he tried, but failed, to come up with plausible explanation in response to the officer's questions, the way that, you know, some of our other killers, like Gacy or Bundy, could do, like, so smoothly. He just did not have that skill. No, I mean, that one first one, he's like, tell them you stabbed yourself in the stomach. Right. Like, who believes? Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> that was like his best idea. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like when 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 he gets out of his he, same in this situation, it's kind of like the other one. He was raping her in the parking lot. And then when he realized people were around, he like woke up. Right. And like took off like he doesn't have foresight or at all like. I don't know. Right. Yeah. He, I think, again, just gets lost in those fantasies mm-hmm. so deeply. Yeah. So Jayton's in, Jayton, Dayton is in jail at this point. Um, you know, just the, the local jail awaiting whatever comes next. And he has a pretty extensive rap sheet, but to go from what they know of him to murdering and raping women in public is a pretty big leap. So Courtney, from all that we've learned so far, and granted, I realize that we're skipping a big chunk of time because we're going to go back and talk about what led up to this next time. What do you think Dayton's mental state is? Um, based on how he was caught, like we just said, it was like he couldn't stop himself. It was like kind of like, you know, Harvey Kerrigan, you know, murdering that woman in public. Yeah. Um, so I think there are at least two things at play here. So as I mentioned earlier, right, Dayton had a very obsessive relationship with his fantasies. He spent so much time fantasizing that he likely got lost in them and was so engrossed that he failed to pay attention to his surroundings. Like, oh, suddenly there's people yelling at me. They might be able to see me. Um, 
in the parking lot, right? And then secondly, of course, we've implied that he has murdered before. And we can also then imply that he has not been caught for those murders by the time that he attacked Jenny. So he's likely also experiencing some inflated ego and a false sense of immunity, believing that he can't get caught no matter what he does. Okay, well, that's where we're going to stop for today. And we should be wrapping up with Dayton next time. Yes. Um, So we'll go over the murders and then we'll go over all the stuff that happened afterwards because he's had a ping pong life in jail. He has. Yeah. So we'll go over that a little bit. Um, Do you have anything you want to say before we close up shop? Um, I think just don't get in cars with strangers. Right. Please don't. Right. I mean, okay, I've done it once, but I was desperate. Right. Oh, sorry, Mom. It was me and Amanda, and we were stuck at a hike, and we had to get away. away. And and we scoped Mm -hmm. him out first, and they had a little dog. Mostly don't get into cars with strange men who are alone driving around in the middle of the night. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right, everybody. Stay safe, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.